This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 197. So for this episode, like I have been promising my listeners over the last couple of weeks, my guest is the one and only Serge Ramelli. Now, Serge is, in my opinion, a world-famous fine art landscape photographer uh, based out of Paris originally. He does amazing landscape photos. He's got his images and I believe over 85 galleries around the world. And he is also a photography educator. So that's what we wanted to talk to him about today, how he got into doing landscape photography, how he approaches his fine art landscape photography and the photography education part. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Serge on with me. Hey, Serge, how you Bonjour. doing? Bonjour, William. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. As I told you when we were talking before we started the recording for the show, I've admired your work for quite a few years now. I followed you on 500 Picks and your YouTube channel. I bought some of your training from your website, which is absolutely fabulous. And I didn't, Thank you. Yeah, I didn't tell you this yet, but I actually based my Lightroom workflow approach on your technique. So I watched mm. a lot of your training. I watched a lot of your YouTube videos. And then I took your basic way that you edit to create my own editing style. And it seems to work good for me. I always love the way you edit. You have a fantastic eye. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I'm honored. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, let me go ahead and have you tell my audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into photography. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm French, but I do speak pretty good English because I am, I, when I was a teenager, I, I lived in Los Angeles for about a year. So that, and, and I did it right at the time when, um, you know, when you're a teenager and your vocal cord become like a man, I have this, this theory that, you know, cause I've had some people which are French and, you know, lived in the U.S. for 40 years, and they have this, bonjour, I am, uh, yes, I've been living in for 40 years in the United States, but uh, I have a very strong French accent. So I, I don't have that. I have it a little bit. And I, I have this theory that, you know, when you grow up is wherever you, when you become a man, wherever you are, that language you speak is that's, that's what gets printed into your body for that life, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, so... I was mixed between English and French, so that's why I um, I speak English. Anyways, um, look, I I've always wanted to be an artist since ever I was a kid. I used to draw a lot when I was a kid, but life. I've also I love sales and I love computers, so I got into coding uh, very early on, and then I got into sales. But I'm in love with movies. I, uh, you know, in the 80s when I saw, uh, I always tell that story, but it's a true story. When I saw like Indiana Jones and Back to the Future and and, and, and The Return of the Jedi, these three movies blew me so much away. You know, I was like 14, 15, 17 when I saw them. I, I was born in 1970, I'm 51. And uh, it, 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 I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that, uh, that art, because that's how I, I looked at it, uh, that, you know, 
it just really for me was a coming out of age movie is something I was a very introverted kid. It was, you know, seeing Michael J. Fox being so cool in Back to the Future, like got me the idea of being cool or, you know, and and the whole idea of the space opera of Star Wars. I don't know, just these movies blow my mind so much. I was like, can you imagine doing this for a living where you just create art that makes people, you know, I just saw that was the coolest job on the planet. It's like I got to figure out a way to to make art into my life. I, you know, my dream has always been to be a movie director and an actor. This is my background. So I started taking acting lessons, but I was very shy. So I sort of gave it up. And so I stopped the, the, the acting and went into coding, completely different thing. Because uh, I love computers. That's also why I do tutorials is because I just love technology. I'm a geek. I have like the latest, always the latest computers, you know, PC, Mac and and, and cameras. I, I love gear. Uh, and so, so, but I, so that's why I got into coding. And then, uh, so I did coding from the age of 18 to about 22. I'm giving you like the full background story. Oh, that's and then fine. I went into, yeah. And then I went into sales. I was a salesman. I was, I started selling, check this out because I speak English. I started selling uh, Paris trip to UK agencies. So I would be in Paris. I would call uh, agencies in like in London says, oh, we have this great package where you're going to stay in the Lido or the Moulin Rouge on Saturday night. We have this restaurant. So it was so it was like a package that I, they would then sell that to their customers or companies like uh, spend a weekend in Paris. So I did that. And then I did a lot of small jobs. But at the age of 28, my brothers created this incredible wave agency called, at the time, 1000 and Web Promotion. And I became a sales, uh, like a vice president for sales kind of thing. And so this is 1998. He had this idea, which I think was a good idea at the right time to have it, is to make websites in 1998. Uh, and mostly, so he did a survey. I remember he, he did like a mailing to lawyers, hospitals, hotels, restaurants, and hotels were the ones that gave the most interest. So it's like, okay, let's make a website for hotels. So we started hiring photographers. Sorry, I have a dog that's a little old, so he, he coughs. He's a little sick. That's all right. So if you hear somebody coughing, that's my dog. No problem. Uh, yeah, so my wife is going to take him. Okay, good. <laughs> so... What um so I, we started hiring photographers. That did, was this was my first my first introduction to photography. So we hired three photographers because when you make a website, they said, well, we need Paris photos because we're selling Paris and we need good interior photos. Okay, so so we hired photographers to take photos of Paris and that you know we, at the time there was no stock photography. You couldn't buy a photo of Paris. You had to shoot it yourself. So that's 1998, and so. And the company completely boomed because hotels needed Bally website and he became the leader in websites and I started making great money and it was, you know, it was good. But now I'm like 34, 35, you know, we're 90, you know, 2004, 2005, making great money. I, I have a wife. We have four young teenagers between the age of 13 and 18. So teenagers for real, four, uh, you know, big house, big mortgage, two cars. Uh, but I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this all my life. I really enjoyed it because I love talking to people. So I love the sales process. And also it was great because we were very successful. Uh, and he's still super strong today. That company still exists and is still a, a leader in, in, in the industry of hotels in Paris. But I don't know. Something happened where I started getting a little depressed because I felt 
that my life was going to go like this and I would have never done something artistic. So I went back to acting. I started taking acting lesson. I started to uh, 2004 taking acting lesson. And then I started uh, buying cameras because I wanted to make short movies. But this is 2004. That means four years before the Canon 5D Mark II came out, which was, if you don't know this, the history of, of cameras was the first camera that could shoot video. So back in 2004, uh, you either had like very shitty, you know, like camcorder with tapes, or even if you like, let's say you were crazy and you had money, you had like the Canon A28, whatever it's called, it was like an $8,000 camera that also worked on tape. And that's like, that's worse than what an iPhone can do today. It was not great, you know, or you had a Panasonic. Anyways, you know, it was very expensive to short short movies because it looked ridiculous. I tried on camcorders and it just was so bad. So you had to rent like $8,000 camera to get a result. The lens were not great. You couldn't, you couldn't get a shallow depth of field. So you ended up having a bad image for a very expensive rental. The only thing that was like if you really wanted something nice was like film, you know, with like big cine lens. And I, you're talking hundreds of thousand dollars camera. And uh, it was a big problem. That's why the 5D Mark II was such a revelation for people because you could get cinema quality video for nothing. I mean, just with your own gear. And that was the first time. It, but this is four years before. So here I am trying to make short movies and I'm failing at it completely. Uh, I remember I shot a short movie where where I was like, um, I've read this creep where I'm like this crazy real estate agent who uh, is very theatrical and bonjour, madame, I miss you and trying to show around a place for people to buy and, and like making, I, I tr and it was just didn't come out right. And I, so I, and also the acting lessons I was taking, I went to a specific theater school and, and the teacher was a complete failed actor, meaning in a way that he never got big gigs in a business. And he was very like, uh, uh, the business is bad. The business is hard. The business, like not inspiring at all. Like, you know, he had great techniques for teaching acting, but he was like, you're never going to make it kind of guy. I was like, thank you very much. You know, it's not the kind of, you know, very inspiring kind of thing. So <laughs> then I started getting really despair because acting was going nowhere. Uh, a short movie was going nowhere and something happened that changed my life forever in January, 2004, five, I forgot which year I went on vacation with a whole bunch of friends to the Guadeloupe. Um, I just did a big real estate. I bought like a big thing with my money. I did like a big real estate investment and, and the real estate company to, because it was a big money investment offered us a week in the Guadeloupe. So we're, we were like 10 friends who bought, like it was like a whole village that we bought. It was like a, a tax credit investment, which turned out to be really bad, but that's a whole different story. And at the time, the real estate agency gave us money to spend a week in Guadalupe. I had never been to the Caribbean island, so I went there. And I brought this little Sony camera. I had like a very small Sony camera, and I started taking photos of you know the trip. And we had a pretty beautiful girl with us, and we took a photo of her. And... Uh, and I had a buddy of mine, so one of uh, one of my best buddy, Kelvin Pimon, was a designer in my company. So he was at a master at Photoshop. And then one afternoon, he was like, oh, do you want me to show you Photoshop? Because you took some photos of that girl. So he, he takes in the photo and he says, you know, I can erase a tourist and I can make the sky better. I can make a skin browner and I can put a title. And he started making like, he starts showing me and, and I was just amazed. But it gave me a huge realization, which is that... Because the biggest problem I have with making short movies is you need actors, you need sets, you need money, you need you need so many things to make something happen. And I was like, I'm I'm in Paris, 
I work in a nicest area of Paris because hotels are in a nicest area. And with Photoshop, I didn't know what Lightroom was at the time. With Photoshop and a camera, I can at least create create something, which are photos. Like, you know, it was like, oh, okay, until I can figure out this movie making stuff, I can at least take photos. And um, and I was like, would you teach me Photoshop? He says, yeah, sure, I'll teach you Photoshop. So I came back to Paris. I remember I went into the first library I could find. I bought all the books I could find. Like I didn't know what Wolf Files was or anything. I knew nothing. I didn't know what shutter speed, shutter, uh, you know, uh, shutter speed or ISO or aperture, nothing. Uh, all I knew is that with a camera and Photoshop, I could create anything. That I knew. So uh, I started buying books and... Um, and I started buying books and I bought the Canon EOS 350D, which was like the high-end entry price Canon. Like the, today is the, the Rebel, uh, which in Europe, the way Canon does things, they give a letter. It's like 350, 400, 450, 500, 550, 600. In the US, it's called Canon T2i. But they, 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 they change, I don't know why it's like that. But anyway, so it's the equivalent of Canon T2i. It's a $400 camera with a 1740 and I started taking lots of photos and started doing some learning, trying to learn Photoshop. And that's how I started. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. It's funny because you and I are the exact same age. Um, I was born on November 8th, 1970. So I'll be 51 in a couple of weeks here. Um, but yeah, I'm actually I'm, younger. I'm actually a few months older than you. I was born in the 13th of May, 1970. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> so you got me beat by a little bit. Um, but that, I mean, that's a great background story. And yours is very similar to mine. Uh, because I first started playing with a camera. I had an uncle give me a camera when I was real little um, that I played around with. I think it was one of the old Kodak 110 Instamatics or something like that. And then later I played around with Polaroids, and then eventually I moved up to point-and-shoot Fujis, and and then eventually settled on Canon. And uh, I, I did the same thing. I bought books on Photoshop so I could try to make my images look better, you know, post-processing and all that good stuff. And uh, so you know, our stories are very similar as far as how we both got started in photography uh, to an extent. Um, now, just out of curiosity, who were some of the photographers that inspired you, if there were any, or did you just go? Yeah. Your oh, own, yes, own they were. They were. The they beginning? were. So here we are, 2005. I'm trying to learn Photoshop. And so I'm like Googling anything Photoshop related. I bought eight books on Photoshop. It's no joke. Um, and I remember buying this book called uh, Adobe in a Classroom, which honestly I hated. Because the way they made the book back in 2005, I don't know how it is now, but back in 2005, they would literally go like, okay, this is what all the fillers do in Photoshop. They will like, it was kind of like a manual of everything that Photoshop could do, which is a really bad way to learn. And then I found this book called, I found two books. One, uh, a Photoshop visual, which was the challenge of the book was to show you Photoshop without one, uh, there was no text. It was just visual. It was just print screens amazing but it was very limited it was like how do you raise something how do you add a cloud you know it was very like you know it, but it was great because that's what i needed and then i found a man that changed my life forever his name is scott kelby i bought photoshop for photographer back in 2005 from scott kelby and i heard about something called the napp national association of photoshop professional and I became a member and I started watching Photoshop. So that was my first inspiration with Scott Kelby. And he started doing this podcast 2006 or seven called The Photoshop Guys. And uh, they started, believe it or not, as a podcast without video and then it turned into video. I watched it from the first episodes. And that was like, I mean, at the time I was big time into TV show like Jack Bauer 24 hours, but when Photoshop 
guys would come on, this would take the priority over any TV show on the planet. Like, I was so passionate. I don't know. I went from not nothing, like having no interest about photography, when I met this realization that, you see, and this is, I think this is important for any artist out there, is you got to figure out, okay, you want to make a science fiction movie, but you don't have a dime. What can you do now? What can you create with the resources that you have? And what I could create with the resources that I have was taking photos. What resources did I have? I could pay. I had $400 for, you know, Canon US 350D. And I had Paris. And I bought Photoshop. I didn't steal it. It was $800. That was more. Photoshop cost me twice more than the camera at the time. And because uh, I didn't want to steal the software. Although I still, I think I used the copied software for a few weeks and I felt bad and I bought it. Because I was making good money, so there was no reason to steal it, you know. Anyway, so I bought Photoshop, this, and then I, uh, well, actually, the, tr the truth to be told, the first year I was not watching tutorial, the first two years, and I was, I almost gave up because my photography was not really moving well. And then I found Scott Kelby, and that was my first inspiration. Then I, he was doing this show with Corey Barker and Matt Roskowski and uh, the Canadian guy, I forgot his name, um, a uh, bold guy. I forgot his name. It's going to come back to me. Anyways, so that really inspired because it was, and that's when I discovered Lightroom. They started showing Lightroom. I was like, what's Lightroom? And like, at first I was like using Bridge and Photoshop, but I didn't know what the big deal was about Lightroom. And then once I understood, because my biggest issue was uh, photo management. Like I didn't know where to put my photos. I was taking so much, like how to organize them. I kept losing photos all the time because I was very, I'm a very disorganized person. And Lightroom was, because Lightroom, Bridge and Photoshop at the time was the exact same thing Lightroom, except Lightroom at the library, where you could find your photo with, you know, Command F, you could, you know, tag them as you import them. Lightroom changed my, my the way I organized my life around photography, so that was a good move to move to Lightroom. I felt in love with Lightroom. So Scott was my first inspiration. So then I started for looking for other people. I think my second inspiration, oh, there was a girl, I forgot her name, I remember she was like North Carolina, like where you live. She uh, um, and she was taking photos of her hometown, and she lives like in a farmer's life. and And she had this over-the-top saturated photos, but I loved them at the time. She was a great photographer. I can't forget that. But she, I remember she was a big inspiration. And then I remember watching a magazine showing HDR, and that's like 2007, 2008. And they mentioned somebody named Trey Ratliff. And then I started following Trey Ratcliffe. He was doing this over-the-top HDR, but I loved it. I don't like it so much today. Uh, I still love Trey, but I, I went to a more natural workflow today. But at the time, I got like, you know, it's like a kid. You give him a, a, a you know, a toy. He's going to play with it for a few months, and then might give it up. So that's how I was with it. I said I played for a few years. With it. I got into HDR photography big time. So Trey Ratcliffe was a huge inspiration. Uh so I was just playing around, you know, I was nine to six, I was the VP salesman. And after six, I would, if they, that's a good thing. Cause I had my 350D was a big man photo tripod in, into my scooter. And if there was a good light, I would stick around and take photos and I would, you know, retouch them and I would watch Scott or trade tutorial. And then I would do that and I would repeat, repeat, repeat. And I was, at first I was like super of a retouch. And I, as the years progress, I learned to, um, well, something else happened in 2010 that totally changed. Uh, a new kid in the block came in, a new mentor came in my life named Peter Leake, which uh, I'm sure you know, uh, yep. which was a revelation to me for many reasons. Um, but yeah, so Scott, Trey Ratcliffe was my first big guys. 
Later on, I met Joel Grimes and Peter Lake, and they had, you know, and I also studied the history of photography, like Ansel Adams was a huge inspiration. Um, there was, and Cartier Bresson was, I loved how he does, it's a French guy who does street photography. I, I don't do street photography, but I love, I learned a lot about composition through him. I um, studied also uh, Nick Brandt, uh, Jean-Michel Burtz, an incredible black and white photographer, uh, early in these days were big inspirations to me. Oh, fabulous. I love black and white photography. I still do it today. I have this rule. If the colors is not good, don't try to put it back in. Just go black and white. That's uh, kind of, I'm going to do a t-shirt. No good colors, go black and white. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I feel the same way, and I, I frequently do that. I love to do street photography. Um, it's one of the genres that I really enjoy. Um, but you are just absolutely amazing at your landscape photography. I mean, your work just blows me away. And of course, Thank there'll, you. there'll be links in the show notes to your websites and stuff like that. And if you could, it's up to you. If you'd be kind enough, maybe we'll, uh, we'll put a three or four of your images in the show notes. Um, I oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll give you anything you want. I really love tutorials, uh, <laughs> uh, photography, anything I can help. No awesome. Uh, that most recent YouTube video years that I watched where you were comparing Lightroom classic to luminar ai i absolutely love yeah. that milky way shot that would be a great one to put in the show notes if you don't mind oh yeah sure absolutely all right um yeah so just to tell you the peter league story so now we're at 2010 it's been five years i'm taking photos i overprocess my photo uh a lot every time i show my photos to somebody they say wow it's beautiful did you do something to it as the first emotional reaction. And I hated that. I hated that because it was, the attention was on the retouching and not on the subject. And I hated that. I hated that kind of reaction like, oh, but did you do something to it? As like the first, like literally anybody that would show my photo, that was the first reaction. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> 2010, so now I got a good body of work of a lot of over retouched photo of Paris. I go to Photoshop World for the first time. I am so excited. It's uh, my first time back in the USA since many years. Never been to Vegas. I go to Photoshop World as a student. So that's 11 years ago. And I'm going to see Scott Kelby for the first time that I've been now watching for five years. And I am excited like somebody going to a Michael Jackson concert. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, and uh, so... Love Photoshop world. And I find this gallery, Peter Lick, uh, which somebody just had mentioned his name uh, a few months before uh, a surgeon I was working with where I did some photos. He was like, oh, I'd love to have some Peter Lick photos, but like there are $8,000 a piece and it's a bit expensive. And he was a very rich man. I was like, $8,000 for a photo? Really? Anyway, so I, I walk into Vegas. You, you, have you been to Vegas? Have you seen his Mandela Bay gallery? Yep, yep. So I go into this huge gallery in Mandela. It must be like $30,000 a month's rent, you know. Uh, and then, I mean, the Mandela Bay has like a huge Peter League photo, like right at the check-in, you know. Yep. And then you, you, you go up the stairs to go to the casino or whatever, and you come to his gallery, which is huge. And the photos are like just breathtaking. I know there is controversy about the guy. I don't know why there is controversy. I think he's one of the greatest photographers that ever fucking lived. That's what I think. Uh, he is, I mean, I've studied, I have all these books. I've seen over 200 of his pieces. They're masterpieces. The guy is just, he blows me away, like more than anybody. And so I spent hours in his gallery and I was listening to what people were saying. And they were all like, what a beautiful beach, what a beautiful mountain, what a beautiful, you know, uh, photo of New York. Nobody said anything about Photoshop, although I'm sure he photoshops. But I was like, that was a puzzle to me. Why does people react to me like, 
oh, did you do something to your photo? And when you see Peter Link, they're like, what a beautiful beach. And it hit me hard. Check this out. Peter Link retouched his photo a lot, but he retouched them. Sometimes he went over, like, I know there's this whole story about the moon and the tree. That's, okay, fine. Maybe not that one. But most of his work, he, he, he does very saturated work. Like, it's extremely saturated. But it's, and listen to this, it's at the threshold of human experience. What I mean by that is if you, I, I live in Florida. I have an incredible west view. So I see some of the most incredible sunset this planet has to offer. And when it gets red, it gets red, more red than your t-shirt. It gets so red. So there's nothing wrong with saturation. That's not the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is the you. It's not the saturation in most photos. Well, sometimes it is saturation. Is He gets his color right. The, 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 the orange is the real orange from planet Earth. It's super saturated. It's at the limit of human experience, but it's not something you would find on Mars or Jupiter or in a science fiction movie. It's He takes you to the utmost of what you could experience that that that, that day. Also, there's something to take into consideration. It's um, I remember. I remember in the 70s, in 1981, we got our first color TV. And I, I was 11 years old. We went from a black and white TV to color TV. And I really thought the colors looked fake to me. Because we, I'd, never seen, I'd never seen a color TV, you know. And so when somebody can hit a sunset and, and, and retouch it in a way that it looks really real, like super realistic, people can do – they can now a little bit with their iPhone. But – what I mean is people are not used to see good saturated photo that re- that really shows reality how crazy that sunlight was. It can look fake, but it's not fake. That he just masters so much his gear and his retouching that he was able to portrait what real life sunset looks like. And I feel that's what what he did. I would say ninety. Some of it, no. There is sometimes he went overboard. Like some of his blues sometimes are a little too saturated, like on you know on beach scene and stuff like that. But most of the time, and I was like. And because at the time I was crazy about magenta, I would add a lot of magenta in my skies and they just didn't look like planet Earth style skies. They look like, so that was the big thing. So I went from Trey Ratcliffe to Peter Leake. So I went from stopping to do HDR to like, okay, I'm going to go at the threshold of human experience. I'm going to go get the most crazy sunset. I'm going to retouch it and it's going to look like how it, uh, how I remember it and not a percentage further, but not a percentage back, because I felt that's what he was doing. And I started this search of how can you portrait, how do you do it? Do you HDR it? Do you under, you know, do you under, do you underexpose it? How do you make when you see one as crazy sunset? Because I didn't want a silhouette sunset. What I mean by silhouette sunset is you're underexposed. Everything in the foreground is black and you get a great sunset. No, 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 no. That's not how the human eye see things. I wanted to see I wanted to portray sunset like the human eyes. So first I did bracketing, you know, underexposed, overexposed. And then I started getting the Sony cameras and getting it right in the camera on one row file. And that was later on. That was years later. But anyway, it's been a quest to me to show the world what a sunset looks like. And and I don't want it to over retouch it. I Sometimes I, I can't make it. So when I see people taking like a, a, you know, a, a photo at night and there is no sunset because it's an overcast sky and they book like a big circle of a big magenta color and it looks completely fake, I, I'm totally against that. I said, no, go black and white. Don't try, to, don't try to put in colors that were not there. You can try to get the colors that were there to come out, but don't try to add colors that were not there. Go black and white. 
Exactly. If you got a great composition, you know. So uh, Peter Link was a huge influence in my life right around that time. But I still had a great body of HDR work. And um, and then there's this whole story of how I quit my job and went into fine art, which is kind of amazing. But it's a whole different story. <laughs> that was right after, actually. Yeah, that's a great story, though. And and Peter Lick was an inspiration for myself as well. I hadn't heard anything about a controversy with him, and I tend to ignore stuff like that because you never know if it's real or fake. Mm. Um, but Ansel Adams was a huge inspiration for me. Trey Radcliffe, Scott Kelby, uh, all fantastic photographers, extremely talented. But they're not the only ones, and that's why you're here today because, like I said, my, it's, and it's not just me. A lot of photographers I know absolutely love your work, admire your work, and how you do things. Well, you thank get, you. You get amazing results. And as a matter of fact, when I was getting my bachelor's in digital photography a few years back, pretty much every professor I had knew you, <laughs> knew your work anyways. Really? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I wasn't afraid to tell them if I had to do an essay-style assignment or something like that, that, hey, my inspirations are Serge, Chase Jarvis, Ansel Adams, Peter Lick. <laughs> Yep, because you Thank guys, you, well, you guys are all big to me. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be in that group. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so in addition to doing your landscape photography, how did you get into the portion that you're doing a lot of now, which is educating other people on how to do photography and editing? So, yeah, so that's a funny story. Um, how can I tell this story in a way that's uh, so? Okay, um, to uh, well, I'll tell the whole story. Go for uh, it. So. 2008, uh, 2008, I am so addicted to photography. I'm like, this is what I want to do in life. Like, they, I can't stay as a vice president for sales. Not possible. I got to go and find a way to become a full-time photographer. It was hitching me at night. I, that's the only thing I could think of. I was buying more books, watching more tutorials, taking more photos. I mean, I, I went in like it was like a revelation to me. Like, it was, I wanted this to be my life. And so I went to see my brother. I said, look, I have got a problem. I really want to be a photographer, you know, and, you know, but the problem is, you know, I got four young kids. I need 10,000 euros per month just to pay the bills. And, um, you know, you mentioned something about selling your, uh, your, your company. And he had this plan. He wanted to sell a company and be giving me a big chunk of money so I could phase over just because I needed 10,000 euros. You know, I bought this big mortgage for the four kids, six people, you know, two cars and all that good stuff. You know how that goes. And, um, and, and France is expensive. And so, um, and he said, you know what, let's make a deal. So that's no, that's actually, uh, sorry, that's 2007 or something. He said, stay one more year with me. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, by then I'll have the company sold and then you can do whatever you want. So then I, um, uh, and then I waited another year and then a year later he said, look, uh, you know, I had a few buyers, but it didn't work out. I decided not to sell. So I'm sorry. You got to figure something out. I was like, and that was May, 2008. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. Sorry for the bad word. I'm just going to sell my house. So I'll have enough money to become a full photographer. And I talked to my wife says, I, you know, we, we've had the house for a few years, but the market was going up. So I was like, okay, we can make, you know, I can have about one or two years of money aside and I can become a full of And my wife was like super supportive. Like, you know, even if we have to live in a smaller place, if you can make your dream come true, I'll help you. So, but that was May, June, 2008. And we're like, okay, well, let's do it in September. When we come back from vacation, we had a big vacation plan with the kids. We come back in September and September, 2008, uh, I don't know if you remember this was the biggest uh, real estate crash in the last, you know, since 1994, oh, yeah. since the Gulf War. 
And I put the house on the market. I didn't think it was such a big deal and it just doesn't go and it just doesn't go and nothing happens. And I was like, I went back to see my brothers. Are you going to sell the company? No, I'm not going to sell the company. And I felt trapped and I felt like I had no way out. And then it hit me. I was like, it hit me. I was like, oh, but I got a good, you know, at the time. So you have to understand that I work with hotels and I now have a lot of very wealthy friends that have like some guy have like 10 hotels in Paris and they're like, and they are all they care about is how to decorate the hotel and how to have nice Paris photos. So I went to see some of my best buddies at the time, very rich people. And I said, look, uh, what if, uh, because it, you know, it, it was a tax write off. Like they were doing millions of dollars of renovations. And for them, you know, if I could decorate the whole hotel with my photos, you know, it would, I said, look, if you buy me $100,000 worth of photography or like there was one guy, he had two, uh, I said, look, buy me a thousand dollars, a photo for a thousand dollars. It's going to cost me $200 to produce. So I'm going to make a $800 profit. You can write it off, you know, for your thing, but you will help me become a professional photographer, which is my life dream. And, um, this is hard. So I went to see one guy. I started with this one guy. I remember all my life, Michel Sauk. He had two hotels, two the, over like he had a small 134 and another 145 rooms and i went because he was renting the small one and i you know basically i was asking for 35,000 euros like 40,000 dollars of photos and um that was kind of an idea i had and he called me up two days after he says you know i thought about it and you know i can't just do one hotel i got two hotels i love what you do i want to back you up i'm going to do um, i'm going to give you 85,000 dollars wow like, what that's amazing. And uh, and so he bought $85,000 of photos. And then two other guys, I ended up selling $150,000 of photos literally in four days. Wow. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's Okay, so now I had the money. So I went and I went to see my brother and I did a resignation later. I said, sorry, I'm, I'm going to become a full-time photographer. And, um, and so, I, so I had all this money. But at the time, I hooked up with some pretty bad people, which I didn't expect. So I met these guys. Uh, one guy was a director and another guy was a screenwriter. Ex very extremely talented people, I must say, but not very honest to me, at least. Uh, and they, I, as I told you, I, I've been not working for web agency. I knew a lot of wealthy people and they had this movie's great script. They wanted me to help raise money for and uh, so I, I was going to become a movie producer, which I didn't really have interest for. Like movie production is not really my thing. I'm more, I want to be the, behind the camera. I'm good with money. I know a lot of people that have money. I can raise money, but it's not like I just, you know, I just quit my job because I wanted to be an artist. So I started taking photos of hotels. Go, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that. But as my customers, you see my parents, so not only they bought some, but they also wanted me to take photos of their hotels. So I started doing that, but I was making a lot less money than just being a vice president for sales. To give you an idea, as a inter so I, so I gave my resignation, I had somebody set aside, but I still you know, needed some money. So I was making about five grand a month doing interior design photography, which was half of what I was making. So I was eating up my set aside, you know, my reserve. You know, I I, I said I gotta find because I needed ten thousand. So I I had a way. I need to find a way to uh, you know make this. So I was like, so I got into this movie production. And what's stupid about movie production is that it takes about two years to to fundraise to make the movie, and the movie has to be successful. Then you can make money. So 
So I had to do the interior design photography and the, and the movie production. But I made a deal with these guys, which was that um, I made a deal with these guys that uh, if I raised the money for the movies, there was one script I really loved that wrote that they would let me direct that movie and play the lead part. It was a comedy uh, which I really wanted to do. And they were like, yeah, no problem, no problem. But first, we want you to raise somebody for mine. Cause so, so it was a man and his son, and they wanted me to raise the money for her son, one of the son's movie first. And so I started doing that. I knew nothing about movie production, but you know, I was a salesman. I actually went to school. There was a private school, cost a fortune to become a movie producer. I paid for it. I went to school. It was not a school, but it was like a private teaching. But it was like, with the studios, you would actually go and talk to, it was great. And so I learned that and then I, st so started doing that, but my set aside was just, then we had some issue with our house and we had to make reservations. And the money I had set aside was just, was literally, um, how do you say, uh, it was just like melting. It was <laughs> melting. Yep. And something else happened that changed my life forever. So now we're in 2000. Uh, no, 2011, Christmas 2011, I'm almost running out of money. Uh, the movie production thing is not going really well. And I'm, you know, and a lot of people are writing me saying, how do you do these photos? Like, can you teach us? And um, and I found this website called tuto.com, T-U-T-O.com. And they, they said, because uh, I was really desperate for money. And they said, you can sell you tutorials. Uh, will give you half of the money. So it's French tutorials. So I started doing some Lightroom tutorials and they started like being the best selling tutorials on the whole platform. I was like, what? So like, oh, maybe I have a talent for this, you know? But I had this idea and this is a lot of people, a lot of artists have this idea. And, and I had this idea that if I, I got to go all in on movie production. Like I knew I could make money with tutorials and I could make money with, uh, with interior design if I put more time into it. But I had this idea that it was a do or die attempt. I was going to be a movie producer. I was going to produce that movie and then I was going to direct a second one and that that was my life. So all my energy and attention. And I had this idea that if you have too many income source or you too many disperse that it's not going to work. Like the only way to, to make it the big time is to fully commit. Exactly. But that was kind of a crazy thought because I got four young teenagers, needed all that money, and it was not a good move. And Christmas 2010, I read uh, the St Steve Jobs biography, and this book changed my life, for real. Uh, I remember I was bored for Christmas. We went to see some family, which I didn't really know, and I just bought the book, and I was sitting in the corner, and I read the book. Like, it's a big book. I read it, like, in two days, uh, like, almost 16 hours straight. And... What there's a story in that book that changed my life, and here's the story Steve Jobs in 1984 sells, like, gets really upset with this guy from Pepsi that he put over to run Apple. They get into a fight, he says, Fuck you, sells his share, and just sells his share. And now he's got like 280 million dollars, uh, you know, and um, on his bank account, and uh, you know. 1984, $280 million. Can you imagine how much money that is, right? Yeah, a lot of really. money. And so he has this idea. He, he, uh, he has this idea where um, he, uh, he buys this computer called the Pixar from George Lucas. And he, has, and he hires 50 salesmen to try to sell this computer to hospital and to studios. Not so much studios, mostly for hospital. 50 salesmen. 
And nobody wants to buy this computer because uh, for computer graphics, because at the time there was something called the silicon graphics, which was half the price and did a great job. And and then they, he has this guy uh, who is not the head of Pixar. Like one, he t- I love how they tell the story in the book where he's like just playing around with a computer making like a little short movie, like just playing with a small character. And Steve Jobs is passing by in the corridor and says, what is that? And um, he says, you know, I'm just making a, you know, a little cartoon with the computers. You know, we're not selling them, but I can play around with them. He's like, oh, I love that. Okay, I'll finance a short. Like, how much money do you need? I'll, I want a, a full short on movie. They do the short. The short uh, wins an Oscar, I think. Yeah, oh, wow. I think it's an Oscar. And um, and then he's like, oh, there is a business there. And then, and then he talks, and then he's, and the guy says, yeah, I have an idea. It's called for a movie uh, based on a show. It's called Toy Story. And so Steve Jobs goes to see the head of Walt Disney. They co-produce Toy Story and for $25 million and makes $500 million. And Pixar, who was trying to sell computers to a hospital, fires the 50 salesman and says, now we're making movies. <laughs> I, I this, like they totally changed the purpose of the company and now they're making movies. And a lot of people don't know this, but when Steve Jobs passed away, he was worth $11 billion. Only oh, yeah. $1 billion came. Only $1 billion came from uh, Apple. Ten. Ten came from the deal he made. It's a long story. You should read the book. But he ends up you know, selling Pixar for, for a ridiculous amount of money of shares of Disney Group. Yep. And this guy, so in short, becomes the most wealthy producer in history. And I'm like, so, okay. So this guy has got $284 million and becomes the most wealthy producer in history and passed away with his fortune. So this, and he had like multiple businesses. So this whole idea I had that you have to focus do or die in the attempt. It's not good to have different income source. I was like, this is bullshit. You know, he, you know, I can have different income. So it's not because you've got different, you know, it, it's stupid, but I was really dying financially because I was, we had a big problem with the house and I was almost running out of money. So bad that I was about, I was a few months away of not being able to pay my house. And by reading this book, I, it was like obvious that, it, that I was not going to make it financially. So I, I, I went to see my partner and says, look, I got to invest more time in making tutorials on this platform, the tutor.com, because I need the money. And so I did. And I started, you know, I said, you know, I will produce the movie, but I'm going to go on a part-time basis. I'm going to go all in on that. And I became the number one author on that platform. I was like, ah, oh. and it was only French speaking stuff. And, um, and then, so now I was making more money. I was making 10,000 euros a month with that platform being the number one seller of tutorials. Plus I was making $5,000 uh, doing real estate photography. So now I was making 15,000 euros. Uh, and, but I had a lot of renovations to pay and I need money, but I was making more money than I was making as a salesman. So that's kind of cool, you know? Uh, and then one thing led to another. Um, the, I'm telling you the full story because, you know, you, you say, yes, I love to talk about this stuff. You know, oh, yeah, you no can problem. inspire somebody else to become an artist, I, I'm happy about it. And then, um, and then something else happened. This is how I started my YouTube channel. I, so I almost got the first movie produced and then I had this discussion with my partners, and this is when I discovered that they were not in for the right reason. They says, you know, we do not want you to direct this movie because now the deal was like, okay, now I finance the first one, let, the second one is mine. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna finance it, I'm gonna direct it, I'm gonna play the lead. And they're like, no, 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 we want you to do another movie. So it was like another two, three years before, and I realized 
they were they had no belief in me as an actor they had no belief in me as a director they could eventually believe i could raise money they didn't even think i was that good and the truth is i was not that good and this relationship was going nowhere they kind of stole money from me also in a way i was like this is not a healthy relationship and i i was i remember i was driving back home i was crying on my motorbike i was like i just wasted two and a half years of my life with them uh, you know, they're not going to back me up. I'm not going to be, they're not going to give me that movie. And I, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I was like, well, I'm doing all these French tutorial. I speak good English. Why don't I do a YouTube channel? First, I want to do a YouTube channel about comedy. I was like, yeah, comedy, I'm not sure I can pull that off. But what, what, if, what if, let's do a YouTube channel. So that's 2012 or something. I, and I, and I said, cause I had no idea how I could sell tutorials because tutor.com was like, um, a platform they invested a lot of money in ads they would pay me great money but like how do i sell tutorials in english i have no idea so i said i'm gonna make them for free on youtube which is what i did for the first year and i did a whole bunch of and my youtube channel blew up like spacex blew up like i i started getting a hundred thousand two hundred thousand views on my first videos and um and then something crazy happened um uh, a college contacted me and actually uh, the uh it's called, you, it's like a private webmastering school, uh, the Da Vinci School. It's the biggest webmastering school in France. 2,000 students right outside of Paris in a business area. And they contacted me and said, we saw your YouTube channel. We love what you do. We have a, but you don't have a website to sell you tutorials. You're doing everything for free. We have uh, six students. They can help you build a website. They'll help you build a website to um to sell your 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 you know you should make you should sell your tutorial you shouldn't give everything for free so they gave me six students for about six months they built me a website they built me like a shop online and everything to and i started making longer course that i was going to sell and um one day i found out something i don't want to go into it but something really bad that my partners did and i said okay i'm out of here like this was the end and i i sent them a letter saying you know this is it I'm setting my shares. I don't want to have anything to do with you guys anymore. And then that was on a Monday. And on a Wednesday, the school posted um, this tutorial and uh, this, the new website. And I just done a new tutorial. And the sales was unbelievable the first month. It was like more money than I could ever dream of. And I was like, what? And uh, <laughs> I had no idea you could make money with tutorials. So, and so now I had the French tutorials doing really well, the English tutorial. Right after that, uh, my, my house had a big problem, so I had to spend a lot of money in my house, which was a blessing. And right around that time, another miracle happened. I got the book deal and I got the, the, the yellow corner deal, which was a lot of money, even more than tutorials. Uh, so basically, you know, I, I left my job. The first two years, I, I almost died. It was really rough because wrong partnership, uh, very important who you partner with. But when I went back on track on doing my own thing, my life exploded, like really exploded. And I, I made so much more, so much money that I moved to the U.S. because the tax was so crazy in France. Like I started making $100,000 with tutorials, $100,000 with the Yellow Corner deal, $50,000 with the books, uh, you know, plus interdesign. I mean, it was just like money was just coming from everywhere. I was like, what is this? I never had made big money in my life, you know, and tax office took 85% of that. Oh, my God. So that's why I moved to the U.S. the second year. I was like, no, I'm not giving 85% of all my royalties to that. And uh, it's the first time I'm being so much open on this. But, uh, you know, I went from almost losing my house and my health with these people to uh, 
you know, to really have a financial, you know, then later on, the, the first year was amazing on, on, with the galleries and, you know, it was less the years after. So you have to work. But it was it was nice to to see that it was nice to see that, you know, and that's what I said to people. Like, if you have something you love to do, you got to find bright ideas to monetize, to be able to just do it as a living. So the French website was a, a good idea. You know, the uh, the school. And and. Honestly, I have this belief that when you do what you like and you like luck has a big part of it. Like this school was such a luck thing. And the biggest luck was how I got into the galleries. That was like luck after luck after luck. I felt I won the lottery that year. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you the gallery story after because it was even more of a miracle. But in short, when you do what you like and you feel good about it, it makes you so high in energy, so happy. And when you're happy the universe folds for you. That's what I've observed. Like, you know, anyway, it just folds. Like, you know, it's like this book called The Secret or whatever. You know, when you picture, I was so happy being a photographer. I, I mean, I had this two years really messed up. But when, when I, you know, when I went away from these people and I said, okay, this is what I want. It just, miracle after miracle happened. The t- three main miracle, number one was a school they, when they, they put out the website, I, I had no idea the website was going to make any money. It did. And then a few months after, uh, there's a, a big miracle that I'll tell you after on the gallery. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's a heck of a story. And it's a great story. And uh, I can definitely relate. You know, I've been in similar situations to you. Uh, my wife and I have five kids. Luckily, they're all grown up now. But of course, now we have 11 grandkids, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, keeps us busy. I don't have a grandkid yet. I'm your age, and I don't have one grandkid. I'm hoping to get one very uh, soon. There's two <laughs> two girls playing the game right you gotta, now. You got to tell your kids, chop, chop. Dad wants a grandchild. <laughs> That's right. I'm, uh, believe me, I'm doing that. <laughs> so the next question I have for you, and I don't ask this for any particular positive or negative reason. It's more of a curiosity thing because I always tell my listeners, it doesn't matter what camera system you go with. They all make amazing images. But what is the current system that you're using, and, and why did you decide to go with that system? Okay, so I uh, – well, right now I'm using the Fuji 100S. Uh, it's a 102 million pixel camera. Why? Because it's the best camera in the world. <laughs> uh, hands down, I think it's even better than um, – was good. I think it's better than a phase one for what I do. It's better than a phase one and, uh, and, and even the Hasselblad uh, from the research that I did. I think it really, for what I do is the best camera in the world. And what I do is cityscape and landscape. Um, I was originally Canon shifted, uh, to Sony cause I love mirrorless. So I had the Sony, Sony one, two, three. I still have the Sony a seven R three, which I almost don't use. I almost don't use it anymore. I use a Sony a seven, four, three for shooting videos. Um, what happened is, so I was with the Sony, I was very happy with the Sony and a friend of mine bought the a Fuji 50 million pixel back about a year ago before I was, and, and we went and took some photos together of, uh, that was just before I moved of the Griffiths park in Los Angeles where you have, um, and downtown in the background. So it's very far away. And he gave me the raw files and I compared them in Lightroom using the compare mode to see how sharp the background was and the colors. And it was like day and night. I was like, what? So, and this was the night before I was about flying to France for a big shoot. So I bought the GFX50R with a medium format camera from Fuji, 
with a, with one lens. And I have not been able to go back to Sony ever since. So I've been shooting that and then the, the 100S came out. So the Fuji was $4,000, but I got a deal from Sammy's camera in LA and I got it at $3,000. And, and then the, the 100, the problem is that it was not, there was no in-body stabilization. That was really a bummer. Uh, and the only in-body stabilization they had was the 100 million pixel camera, but that was $10,000. I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to put $10,000 into a camera. And then they came up with the S version at $6,000, which I ended up getting an incredible deal at almost $4,000, believe it or not. So that's why I, uh, I, 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 that's what I use now. I do take the Sony with me, but the truth is I'm, I love so much the quality of that 100 million pixel camera that I don't shoot Sony anymore. Oh yeah. It just, it's like nothing beats that in terms of color dynamic range, the color, the color signs of Fuji is amazing. So I'm just a new Fuji lover. Yep. I can understand that. And it's, <laughs> you're going to think I'm crazy, but it's absolutely nuts because I've been off and on. I've, I've gone back and forth between Canon and Fuji. Um, I've been with Canon for a while now, and I was in a similar situation to you. Uh, when I started working on my documentary project in Georgia, I was like, okay, my Canon is a really good camera. I had the 5DSR 50 megapixels. And I was like, this, wow. is, this is a great camera for these buildings, but I really want medium format. I want it so bad I can taste it. <laughs> and I was looking at used phase one systems and, and a couple of other systems, and I considered Pentax. And then I heard about the Fujifilm GFX 50R. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a rangefinder style camera, which I love that old style design. It's 50 megapixels, medium format, massive dynamic range. And so I got rid of all my Canon DSLR equipment. I still have my Canon mirrorless gear, but I sold No way. It. So you, you have the 50 GFX? Yep. Wow. Yep. And I'm Did so you, jealous because you got the 100S and I've been wanting that camera so bad. <laughs> you got to put me in touch with your source so you can get it for four grand. <laughs> well, I'll tell the story of how I got it. It's a funny story, but I was in Paris. Paris camera is always, is always more expensive. And I... I and I go to – there's a – the equivalent of Best Buy in Paris is called the FNAC. It's uh, – and so I'm walking into the space, and and the camera guy in one of the biggest stores in Paris comes to me and says, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan. I've been watching your YouTube channel for seven years. I don't believe you're here. I was like – he was a big fan. I was like, all right. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I um I want to buy the Fuji 100, but I, I'll buy it in the U.S. because it was, it was 6,000 euros. So right there – is like $7,000, right? But it was with VAT. Uh, but it was like, you know, I'm a fan. I'm going to give you 10%. And you know that you can get the VAT off. I was like, what? So I was getting 20% VAT off. So check this out. 7,000 euros. So, sorry, 6,000 euros minus uh, 1,200 of VAT. So it was 4,800 euros. And then he was giving me 10% off of that. So it was 4,000 euros. So it ended up being like $5,000 instead of 6,700. So I was like, I made my, it was crazy. So oh, yeah. because there's this law, if you buy stuff in, in, in France and you, you have a green card or you're a resident, you can get VT off at the airport, which I did. So that's how I got the, the 100S. Wow. And I am in love because the in-body stabilization, like I hate to shoot with a tripod, Yep. And I've been taking photos without a tripod, like all the way to the night, like at a hundred ISO or maybe two hundred ISO, and it's just, it's incredible. It's and 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 the prints you get, a hundred and two million pixel, the detail, the color science, 
It's I think for landscape and seascape, it's the best camera in the world. And it's like six thousand dollars with the lenses. I have the thirty-four sixty-four. It's a zoom six thirty-two sixty-four, which is the equivalent of a twenty-five fifty-five. So it's sometimes I'm not wide enough, but you know what I do? I just take three, four photos and I stitch them. And I find I get better result when I do cityscape of of doing panoramas like one, two, three, four than doing a wide angle because wide angle does too much distortion. That tree is going to look so big. The beach is going to be so small. Uh, with taking four photos, you get less distortion. You get more pixel. You know, so when I have an incredible scene, like I have this incredible sunset at the right time at the right place, I, I, I only have one lens, one camera, and I, if I'm not wide enough, I just take four photos and I'm good. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, see, when I went to the GFX 50R, I wanted it for my documentary project. And I started out, you know, I traded in some of my gear. I got the GFX 50R with their 50 millimeter lens. Um, I really wanted their 20, 23 millimeter, but that one was just stupid expensive. And mm. so I ended up going to Laowa first. So I went to Venus Optics and I got their 17 millimeter GFX mount manual lens. And it was a really good lens, but it, it would get issues with really severe lens flaring if the sun was too bright. It didn't have a hood. There was no way to put a hood on it. And um, so I just saved up and saved up. And then I finally sold the Lau off. And I actually got the, the GF 23 millimeter for my for my uh, documentary work. And I absolutely Oh, so you have two prime, it. 23 and 50. Yep. I've got the 23 and the 50. And I'm hoping to get the new 35 to 70 that just came out. That one's got me intrigued as well. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, I, I was trying to get a 70... Uh, to 150 or something, they have a. It was completely out of stock last time I tried to buy it. I, I need to buy it actually before I go to Paris. I'm going to Paris in two weeks for shooting a movie. Uh, oh sweet! That's a whole different story. <laughs> a pilot of a TV show, more exactly. But anyway, that's um, awesome. So yeah, I'm with you on that. GFX Fuji. Uh, I I felt in love. Yeah, the, I mean, if, their, if, their film simulations are insane. I mean, when I started photography, oh you know, like we were talking about before the show, I started in film. And that was one of the reasons why I love shooting with Fuji was I loved their film stock. And the fact that they can replicate them so accurately in yeah, their cameras crazy. is amazing. Yeah, I so this is a Velvia 50 uh, film, actual film, because I shoot film also. I've got two film. I've got four. Uh, I've got I have the Hasselblad 500. 3CW, I have the Mamiya 7.2, and I like to play around with medium format, and I love Fuji Velvia 50 and 100, so it's a, it's an actual film from 20 years ago, and uh, you know how it is, their Velvia simulation, yep. and their Provia simulation in Fuji is so incredible. This is when you realize also, like, people say, like, oh, because that film I've been using a lot is so oversaturated. It's like it gives a lot of magenta cast. I was like, this is where my love of magenta comes from, yep. from Fuji Velvia. That's where it comes from. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. And like I said, they do a fantastic job of replicating them in their Oh, in yeah, their I love cameras. Provia. The yep. LUTs, Provia, and Velvia is the two I use most of the time. Sometimes it's Same a little here. too much, so I, 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 I like desaturate on top of using the LUTs, but uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that when you're in Lightroom, if you go to camera uh, what is it? Camera. Uh, there's a section on the lots called, which is basically changes for every roll file. So if you have a Canon roll file, it's going to give you LUTs that were created by Canon. Yep. If you have a Sony, it's going to give you LUTs created by Sony. And so if you have a Fuji, you get LUTs created by um, 
uh, hold on, I'm in, in Lightroom now. It's called, um, so you have to go to LUTs and it's called camera matching. That's the name I was looking for, yep. camera matching. And so when you use a Fuji, they have the best lots in, in uh, way better than any other brand, yep. way better. And well, uh, the big thing that I've discovered, and I don't know if you've tried this yet, is with shooting with a Fuji camera, I like the results I get better out of Capture One. You know what? I keep hearing this. I did download Capture One at one point. I, I need to uh, explore this a little more. I have. I have a 12 years love stories Lightroom. I have the number one Lightroom uh, YouTube channel on the planet with 625,000 followers. It's hard for me to shift to, to another system. No, I understand. For that, for that reason. But I, a lot of people says, I love the way you teach. We'd love to have a Capture One masterclass from you. Even Capture One contacted me. DxO contacted me. So I, I might get into that like, you know, just for, well, first I'm going to take like my 10 best photos which is what I did originally. I took my 10 best raw file, opened them up in Lightroom, did the best that I could, opened them in Capture One. The best. I, at that time, and that was two, three years ago, I did not quite see a difference. I was like, I'm not gonna relearn the software if I don't see the difference, you know? But I keep hearing that, and, and that was before, that was with Sony files. I was not with my Fuji files. So I gotta, I gotta do it again with the Fuji files. Yeah, I haven't, I've never tried it with Sony. They, they have a version of Capture One that's just for Sony cameras. That's the one I had. That's but, the one I had. That's why I keep hearing it was better. But I, I know if you, get, if you get the universal version, which is the one I have, that one is just mind-blowingly great for Fuji. And I can see the difference. If I if I process the same Fuji RAW file in Lightroom and then do it in Capture One, I can see the differences. Capture One. Really? Yeah. It just manages Fuji RAW files better. It renders them better. I mean, natively, without you having to do any adjustments. Oh I, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. taste that next week. Yeah. I mean definitely yeah, I would that. I would definitely give the newest version a try. You know, download the free trial and give it a shot with your with your Fuji RAW files because I think you'll love it. And if you did cool. a if you did a Capture One masterclass, I can imagine that'll blow up too. <laughs> yeah, I should. Uh, a lot of people have been asking me for it. Okay, so now to wrap up because I know you have limited time. You're an extremely busy person. I just wanted to ask you at the tail end of all the places you photographed, what where was your favorite location? Um, well, apart from Paris, which I've lived for forty years, so it's kind of weird to say that. Um. Okay, for cityscape, I would say New York. For landscape, because um, New York is incredible for for, for cityscape, exactly. I find. Uh, for landscape, I have two winners. I, it's hard to decide: Queenstown in New Zealand or Tuscany in Italy. Oh, uh, for the landscape side of things. You now know. you're making me jealous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> both of them is really high on my list. Uh, yeah, I I think Tuscany maybe bits a little bit new zealand yeah, a little bit yep I agree. but like new zealand is right there absolutely Tuscany is unbelievable <laughs> uh, i mean yeah but you know i've never been to as many places I've, I've never i've always wanted to go to you know i hear um a lot of places in latin america are amazing mm -hmm. uh you know uh japan uh oh iceland no sorry let me revise everything iceland number one Iceland, Iceland, <laughs> Iceland beats Tuscany, Iceland beats New Zealand, Iceland is, I was in Iceland with Skylum for a week on, on, a, on a workshop, I got the best photo of my life in that one week, it's, there's nothing like Iceland. Uh, you'll have to share that one for the show notes if you would, because I, yeah. I would love oh, to yeah, see yeah. that one. 
All right. So wrapping up, um, if you would go ahead and let my listeners know where they can find you, any social media websites and any promotions that you might have going on right now. So photosurge.com is the, um, is my, my main website. And I have one product, uh, which is called the zero two pro. I've been doing a lot of tutorials over the last 15 years, but my zero two pro it's $197 instead of $500 right now on promotion. You can get it from photo surge. It's six module. Uh, module number one is really like camera settings. Number two is really about composition. Number three is the longest it's retouching. Number four is social media, Instagram, YouTube. Number five is how to make a website that will give you a good SEO uh, to get business and uh, how to um, uh, how to price your photo, how to sell them. Uh, and number and then last module is how to get published in the press, uh, how to get a gallery deal and a book deal. Uh, you know, if you want to. So it's seven. It's from zero to pro. And uh, I've had a lot of success with this uh, course. It's the best I've done in 15 years. That sounds amazing. I'm, I, I've been talk, thinking about picking that one up myself because I was in your webinar uh, a week or so ago, and that's how we first got in touch with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hands down the best training. It took me a couple of years to do, and it's the best best deal thing I've had. And it, it, it includes all kind of like stuff like I have a price list you can download. Uh, it's actually like a PSD. We did it in Illustrator where you can just put your own logo and you have like a catalog of price. You have, um, we, we combined for four years, we combined a book with the best influencers, what we call the feature accounts, people which don't create their own photography, but they will post your own photo, how to tag them. It's the fastest way to grow on Instagram. So you have like a, a reference based on topics like travel, uh, you know, feature accounts, you know, uh, wildlife feature accounts, uh, Italy feature accounts, Europe, USA, New York, et cetera, et cetera. So like you have a New York photo, you can tag them. If they like it, they will repost it. I have a guy, I had a guy who got 40,000 subscribers in one evening with one repost like that. Wow. And another guy, 85,000. Yeah. It's when it doesn't work often, but when it does, it's brutal. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. All right. Uh, so did you have any uh, Instagram, Twitter accounts, anything like that you wanted to yeah, share Yeah, everything as well? is photo search. Twitter, I'm on photo search. Instagram, I'm on photo search. Uh, YouTube, I'm on Serge Ramelli. Uh, I do f two YouTube videos per week right now. I'm crazy about YouTube. I love doing YouTube videos. So I'm doing a lot of YouTube videos. I have one coming. My next two YouTube video, one is uh, the new cinema mode on the iPhone 13, which I fell in love for. And the, the other one is, you're going to like this one, is uh, I, so I did a test. I took the Fuji 100S and I, uh, and I bought the Canon T2i at Best Buy for $400. And I went to Clearwater Beach, one of the nicest beach in the U.S., for one of the crazy sunset. And I shot the best that I could with both cameras. And then I, then I show you on screen the best photo. I don't tell you which is which. And you have to guess which one is Canon and which one is Fuji. At the end, I reveal what it is and the whole retouching process. So it's like a Fuji versus – it's basically – you know, there's everybody says the best camera is the one you have on you, and like you know, you don't need to hire hand gear. Let's find out. That was the idea of that of my next YouTube video. Ah, okay. So you were putting Chase's theory to the test. <laughs> yeah. Ah. No, just to see if people can see a difference. Yeah. You know, like uh, of course you would see a difference on a print, but on a web, can you see a difference between a, a four hundred dollars camera and an eight thousand dollars setup? Well, that's true. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but Ken Rockwell, that's one of the things he's actually tested is he, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he took the same photograph. I know him very well. 
he took the same photograph that he shot with a 12 megapixel camera and then like a 24 or 36 megapixel camera, put the print side by side, and 99.9% of the people on the street that looked at it couldn't tell which one was which. Mm. They just yeah. couldn't see the difference. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing that's what's going to happen. I I haven't looked at the photos. I just shot, uh, just, you know, I, I just shot the shooting of that, but I didn't even look at the raw files yet. I'm actually, that's what I do, right? I'm going to have some lunch and I'm going to look at the raw files right after and see if I can see a difference between this raw files of a $400 camera versus $8,000 camera. <laughs> All right. Well, Serge, I want to thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I know you're super busy with YouTube and your tutorials and all that stuff. Yeah, it's and cool. It's fine. I, I really appreciate it. you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, hopefully you had a good time and maybe we can have you on again down the road. Oh, I love, yeah, it was pleasure. I love to talk about my life. I, the thing is, I, you know, I was looking for inspiration 15 years ago. I would have loved to listen to a story like this. It would, you see, if I knew that it was going to go so well, I would have done it eight years before. I could have done it eight years before. I could not have not worked for my brother and just go straight. Uh, I could have done it 10 years before. And the only reason I didn't do it 10 years before is I didn't get the inspiration back then. And I hope if some young kid somewhere is listening to this and he's like, oh, maybe I can do it too. Uh, yes, the answer is you can. You know, the only thing that matters, you know, people say, and let me finish on this because I think it's really important. People say, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you do what you love in life, you never have to work another day. And that's true to a certain degree because sometimes I have to do tools that I don't really enjoy. Like, you know, having to learn Capture One, you know, I know if I make a masterclass, I make great money on it, you know, but, you know, it's kind of I'll do it for the money, you know, because a lot of people want to see me doing that, you know. But it's not like I'm not going to enjoy it as much as just, you know, doing a personal photography project. You know, I'm doing it because I have to pay the bills, you know. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. But here is the, is the truth. For me, the most important in life is interest. What do you have interest on? Because if you have interest for something, just follow the interest. You're going to be good at it. Uh, you know, and if you, because when you have interest on in something, you will take the time to learn it. You will take the time to fail at it and, 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 and make it again. Just follow your interest. Whatever is it that you really like, do that in life. That's what's going to make you happy. Absolutely. And that was the big reason why I wanted to have you on the show today is because I knew, I knew quite a bit of your background, but I didn't know all of it. And your story is a great story for anyone who's just getting into photography or thinking about getting into photography. Yeah. I think this episode is going to be super inspirational for my listeners. I hope, I hope. <laughs> all right i want to thank you again for coming on the show serge i'm going to let you go at this time so you can get your lunch and get things done and uh hopefully we'll stay in touch and we'll have you on the show again down the road yeah if, i'll send, if you're you, the photo, I'll send you some of my best work and, and the stuff from iceland if you want to see it absolutely uh, with pleasure and the, and the link to the zero to pro course if you can promote it that'd be really nice you got it not a problem sir thank you again you have okay, yourself sir. a wonderful day you too thank you william yep Bye-bye. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 197. I want to thank my guest, Serge Ramelli, once again for joining me in this episode. It was absolutely fantastic to have him on the show. He is an extremely talented fine art landscape photographer and photography educator. 
All right. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be listening to the show. Also, be kind enough to stop by and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. Watch the videos. Comment on them. Share them out. Hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. And you definitely want to do the same for Serge Ramelli's channel. You can find him on YouTube under Serge Ramelli. Subscribe to his channel. Watch those videos. Trust me, if you want to up your photography game, he is a fantastic photography educator. And you're going to get a lot out of his content. Also, be sure to check out the Zero to Pro bundle sale that he has going on right now. The link is in the show notes so that you can take advantage of that discounted pricing. And I also have several of his absolutely gorgeous photographs in the show notes that you can check out as well. All right, that's going to wrap this one up and I will see you all again on Sunday.